0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Alright, thank you Pastor Miles. I hope I live up to that hype. Um, Yeah, how great is it being back in this room? Yeah. Ah, oh, it's it's been a long 4 months, but it's so good that we able we're able to gather and just worship our God together. So as Miles said, if you haven't met me before, my name's Ben, and along with my amazing wife Anna, we are the worship and creative pastors here at Elevation Church Hills. And I get the privilege of not only being the first person to speak when re- returning to in person, but I also get to open up this new series called More than words. And it's, as Miles said, it's a a series on worship. So who better to start than the worship pastor? What we want from, from this series is we want to equip you. We want to be able to take all of you guys, wherever you are in your worship journey, to the next level. We want to equip you to be able to worship God better, to be able to draw closer to who He is. So, what is worship? And you've probably heard this phrase, but we all worship something. Whether other subconsciously or consciously, we all worship something. It might be a person, like a, a movie star, a sports star, your spouse, yourself. It might be a thing like fame, money, influence, but we all worship something. The word translated most frequently in the New Testament as worship is the Greek word proskenio, which basically means to bow down, to show reverence towards, or show adoration to, which pretty much just means to show love to something, to show something love, to give your all to something. What what it is, you want. You want everything about it. So that is worship, and we all worship something. And the title of my message today is God, I look to you. To worship in spirit and truth. Now, this, this idea of spirit and truth is, gets thrown around a lot. We probably mostly know what it means, but does anyone know where it comes from? Because it actually comes from John 4, the, the story of the woman of Samaria and Jesus at the well. But too often we read that story and it gets clouded by something else that happens in the middle of it, which when we get there, you'll know what I'm talking about. But let me just give you a little bit of context about what's going on. So we have the woman of Samaria. So we have Samaritans and then we have Jesus, who is a Jew. So we have Samaritans and Jews and they hate each other for, for a lo- whole lot of reasons. But it basically just came down to racial prejudice. The Jews did not like the Samaritans because they weren't Jews. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews because they weren't Samaritans. They were basically the same people, worshipped the same God supposedly, but they hated each other. And the Samaritans didn't want to go down into Judea to worship in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So they decided to build their own temple on Mount Gezerim. And then at about 150 BC, the Jews had enough and they went up and they destroyed it. So this is the cultural climate that we find this interaction in. And Jesus being Jesus, he's in, he's in Judea and he wants to get to Galilee. So Judea, if you look at Israel like a strip, Judea is down the bottom Galilee's up the top, and then Samaria's in the middle. And most Jews, when they make this, make this journey, they go 40 kilometers out of their way to just miss Samaria. They don't want anything to do with these people, right? They will, get, they will walk 40 kilometers out of their way. Who Has anybody walked 40 kilometers before? I know I haven't, but they would do that just so they don't have to see a person. That's like if you were in the city and you needed to get to Penrith, the easiest way is straight down the M4. But you need to go through the hood. You need to go through Mount Druitt. And I can say it, I grew up there, it's fine. But some people don't like going through the hood. So instead of taking the M4, they take the M2 up through the nice hills. And they come out around the back, and they go down and they, ah, such a lovely scenic route, but it's 40 minutes out of their way. But they'll do it, so they don't have to go through the hood. So then, but Jesus, as I said, being Jesus, is like... Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go walk straight through Samaria. And it's about midday. He's walked a long way. It's hot. The sun is coming down on him. It's directly above him. And all he wants is a drink. So he finds himself at a well. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, please turn to John 4, 7. And if you don't have a Bible, there will be a big one behind me. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's literally just her and Jesus. It's just these two people at this well. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? I just imagine her, she's holding a bucket. It's just them two. And he's like, I'm about to give you water. And she's like, where are you getting this water from? And she's just kind of clutching her bucket. Like, don't steal my bucket. This is my bucket. Do not take my bucket. I just just feel like she's clutching it hard. And then she says in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it, and his sons, and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. So she's still thinking in the physical. So this well, they think, is about 70 feet deep, which is about 21, just over 21 meters. And she had to come there every day with her bucket, draw the water to provide for her family. And we know that it's not the weight of something that makes it heavy. It's how long we have to hold it, right? So 21 meters, pulling this bucket up every day to provide for her family. And she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me this water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And this is the part that most of us will probably remember. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. So this mountain, she's literally pointing to Mount Gezerim. So Mount Gezerim, where they had that temple, was right next to the city of Sakkar, which is where this interaction was taking place. So she's literally pointing to this mountain saying, we worship on this mountain. But you say, we have to worship in Jerusalem. So our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, or another way of saying it is through the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. God, I just pray that as we come into your word, that you, that you just fill my mouth with your words, that as I'm speaking, it's all you, and then you illuminate in our minds new revelations of who you are from your word. I just pray that your spirit fill this place and help us understand what you're trying to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, you probably remember this passage, if you've read it before, from that little quip in the middle where Jesus said, you don't have a husband, you have five, and you've had a boyfriend that you're living with right now, right? That's the part we probably remember. But what's interesting is that in the book of John, the word worship is used 13 times, and 10 of those times are in this passage alone. So this Passage is talking about worship. Jesus is talking to this woman about worship. She, he's trying to teach us about worship, refocus what we think worship is. So, I only have two points today, and I promise that it's only two points. I know preachers will say two and then they go to ten, but it's two. My first point is worship must be God focused. Does anyone remember the, the Guinness Book of Records? Yes. yes. I, see, I hear see some hands. If you don't know what it is, it's this book that just has the most outrageous, silly records in it that people are apparently trying to break, like The Longest Kiss, which went. I'm pretty sure from memory went for over two days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like the, uh, the amount of bees one can fit on one's face like, I don't know who's out there trying to fit more bees on their face, but there are people out there trying to do this, right? Anyway, I loved this book. I, I love this book so much. I, I actually started collecting them because they came out around November, December, right in time for Christmas. Great marketing. And then my nan in the year 2000, she actually started buying them for me. And every year, she would buy me this book. And I loved it. I was so excited. Every Christmas, I was like, man... I'm getting that that book. So every year, I'd be getting that book, like 2000, 2001, 2002. I'm like, man, yep, getting that book. I can't wait. I'll be telling my mom, my sisters what I want, but not my dad. She knows what I want, and she'll give me what I want, right? She's going to give me that book. It gets to 2009, and I'm excited. I'm like, come on, going to have the book. And 2009 would be the 10th year. So I'd have 10 of these, and it'll be amazing. It'll be a set, and I'm like, "I I can finish after this. Get to Christmas Day, start opening the presents, no book. Cousin number one has one, okay, keep opening the books, keep opening the presents, sorry. Cousin number two has one, okay. Get to the end of Christmas Day 2009, no book. I know, man, was I mad. I didn't tell my nan this because I loved her. But I was angry. I was like, where is my book? I come to Christmas. I come to Sunday night dinners. I spend time with you. The least you can do is give me this book, right? I just want this book. Give me the book. I want the book. I deserve this book. And looking back on it, it's like, that's the only reason I went to Christmas, to get that book. Like, yeah, and 2009, I was 17. Anyway... I I just felt like I wanted this book and I deserve this book. But sometimes, too often, this is how we treat God. This is how we worship Him. We want want what He can give us, not who He is. We want the blessings, but not the person. All we want is more. We just want more. It's like, God, I, I want this new car. I want this new house, this new job, this spouse, this healing this miracle, I need this in my life. I worshipped you. I've given my life to you. I've, I have watched you online. I watched the service online for, for four months. Do you know how difficult that was? I did that. I deserve this miracle. I deserve this blessing. You deserve to give this to me. But in this passage, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said that true worship is focused on God in spirit and truth. And this idea of spirit and truth is so multifaceted, I can't, I can't get through it all today. It's, you could do a 13-week series on this and still not get all the way through it. But I'll try with the 20 minutes I have left. What I love about this passage, when he talks about worshipping the Father in spirit and truth, we get a glimpse of the Godhead, which is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So we have the Father, which is the Father, the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and then the truth, which is Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here Jesus is saying, I am the truth. So when we worship in spirit and truth, we're actually worshipping the Trinity, We are worshipping the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all equally because they are all God. But not only that, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not only that we worship the Godhead, the Godhead plays a vital role in how we are able to worship. So let's jump back to verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. If we take a really surface-level look at, this, at these three verses, Jesus is saying you've been given a responsibility, an opportunity to worship the creator of the world, but you're focused on where to do it you've missed worship. If you're focusing on where to do it, not who to focus your worship on, you've missed worship. And I know that in lockdown, coming out of lockdown, you were, we were probably angry. I know I was frustrated. It's like, God, you, like, I, I, I just need to get back into the room. I just need to get back in this room and then I can worship you. I can't worship you in front of a TV. I need to worship you in that room. But Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you worship. Doesn't matter where you worship. You can worship in the car on a beach. If anyone's watching our service at home on the beach, amazing. But you can worship anywhere you want. But sometimes also we can take it too far. Because Jesus is not saying, do not come to Sundays. He's not saying don't corporately worship. And we'll do a whole, a whole week on corporate worship and what that means and why we and why we come on Sundays to corporally worship. And if you can't wait for that, Prashant has a great post on Instagram about why we come to Sunday. So go check that out And until we get to that week. But we can be so focused on the transformation from a physical to spiritual that we miss it. We think that Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you're doing it spiritually with your head and your heart, you can do whatever you want. Now, while that's true, it's actually not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that before me, God ordained it to be focused on the temple. You needed the temple to worship. So we focused on the temple. But now we're shifting from the temple to the person of Jesus. I am now your focus. Jesus is saying, I will be your focus in worship. You will be looking to me. D.A. Carson actually says, to worship God in spirit and truth is first and foremost a way of saying that we must worship God by means of Christ. What he's saying is that we can only truly worship, we're only able to worship through Christ. Christ is our connector back to God. Christ is the vessel through our worship is received by God. We actually worship through Jesus, through what he has done. And I need to I need to tell you something, lay you in on a little secret. Your worship doesn't start with you. You can't create worship out of nothing. You actually can't create anything out of nothing. But you can't create your worship out of nothing. But thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. This is where He starts. He kicks our worship into motion. He energizes and empowers us to be able to worship. Um, A.W. To- Toza says that we are merely mirrors of God's glory, mirrors of His glory. The glory comes down through the Holy Spirit and our worship just mirrors it back to God. And it says that if you don't worship Him, the rocks will cry out, right? And it, this worship has been going on since before the beginning of time and will go on long after the end of time. It says in Revelations that for eternity, the angels will cry, holy, holy, holy. So this worship doesn't start with us. We are just joining in on the symphony of praise that is already going on all around us. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to worship through Christ to God. So that's my first point. And my second point is ground your worship in biblical truth. Now, this is where this is the part that I love because I love truth. I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love learning more about it. Like, I know I won't know everything, but I'm trying. I'm really trying. Um, let's go to verse 22. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So God is saying here, it's not only that you need to worship in spirit and truth, it's that I'm seeking people that worship this way. I'm seeking worshipers. I'm seeking true worshipers that worship me the right way. Worshiping without truth is like, Husbands, okay. Husbands, I'm speaking to you. And you you don't need to nod or put your hand up. I know this is probably most of you. It's like you're sitting on the couch at home, watching the football, watching something. And out of the corner of your eye, you see your wife and she's mad. (laughs) I'm already hearing laughs. You know where this is going, right? She's mad. She's got steam coming out of her ears and you're just like, oh, what have I done this time? Man, I just need to de-escalate the situation. And she comes over and you're like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm like, I won't do it again. I, I, I apologize. And she, and she looks back at you and she says, why are you sorry? Yeah, we've all been there, right? And you just look back at her. And you're like, I have no idea why I'm sorry. I just needed to say sorry because I felt like that's what you wanted. That's what worshiping without truth is like. When we apologise without knowing why, it's not pure, it's not true. When we don't worship without truth, it's not pure, it's not true. It's, it's not this airy-fairy feeling and we get goosebumps. Our worship needs to be grounded in biblical truth because that's how he wants it. So Romans 12.1 says, "'I appeal to you, therefore, brothers,' By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, we'll do a whole, I think we're doing a whole week on that living sacrifice, that day to day worship later. But I just want to focus on those last three words your spiritual worship. So Paul here is saying, he's giving an an example of what spiritual worship should look like, right? He's saying, this is what you do if you want to worship spiritually. It's one way of worshipping spiritually. But what's funny is that this word, spiritual, is actually the Greek word logikos. And you probably already know where I'm going with this. Logikos means reasonable, rational. The first five letters of logikos is logic, That's that's our word. That's where we get our word for logic. And logico, which is the first six letters, is logically. So our worship needs to be rational, reasonable, logical, and bound by truth. For me, when I know not only the words I'm singing, but the truth behind the words I'm singing, it stirs something in me. The Holy Spirit starts moving in me, starts churning in me, and it just, it, it just stirs up emotions in me. And I don't mean human emotions like happy and sad. I mean spiritual emotions like joy, excitement, expectation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit churns in me. And I, it, okay. all I, can, I just feel it in me when I know the truth of what I'm seeing. It just churns in me. And all I can do is let it out. I just need to let it out. And it might be loud, not in tune, or it might be quiet. It might be you just sitting there in his presence, but you worship him. You praise him because of the. for me, that's the, when I know the truth, that's what I do. I can only praise. One, one song in particular that I love is There is a King by Elevation Worship. And we're actually going to sing it in a couple of minutes. Um, I did do the set list, so I deliberately put it in there, but... I love this song because it's so full of theological tr- theological truths that, every, like every line, is just like, oh my goodness, like that—that's who Jesus is. I'm singing about this Jesus, and I this Jesus is awesome. And I actually can't study or work with music, well, especially worship music, because when I hear the truths being sung, I have to stop. And then I wouldn't get paid. It's like that's not good for me. I need to get. I, I need to work. So I actually can't listen to music, but I just want to focus on the third verse here in there as a King. It says, It won't be long. We will behold Him. And every tear He'll wipe away. We'll be at home. The war will be over. And soon we'll meet our Saviour face to face. If that doesn't stir something in you, if that doesn't rev you up, I don't know what will. For me, it's like it won't be long. Like the time that we spend on earth versus eternity is nothing. It will not be long. Doesn't matter how long it feels, it won't be long because we'll be holding, every tear will be wiped away, the war will be over, there'll be no suffering, no more grief, no more stress, no more pain, nothing bad, just us, the saints gathered in the presence of our King. And with that last line, Soon, I'll meet my Savior face to face. Every time I sing it, I'm just like, God, I'm going to meet you face to face, but right now I need to worship you spirit to spirit. That's all I'm able to do right now, so that I'm going to give you my all in this, because that's what I need to give you. Truth should drive us to worship, truth should draw us closer to who Jesus is, closer to God. And in this passage, we see that with the woman at the well. At first, all she sees is a thirsty man. Then she sees a Jew, then she sees a rabbi, then a prophet, and then Messiah. This drives her to run out into the village and shout, this might be the Christ. This might be the Christ we've been waiting for. This might be the Christ. So the villagers rush out and they say, Jesus, you need to stay. We have questions. You need to talk to us. We need to know more. We need to know the truth. So Jesus stays two more days. And after those two more two days, the villagers, one, one man says, indeed, this must be the Saviour. As Jesus revealed who He was, it caused them to draw closer to Him. It, draw, it caused them to worship Him. And not only that, the villagers say, and it's not because of what the woman said, it's, what, it's because of what Jesus has said to me. Jesus told me. Jesus has revealed this to me. And he's the savior. now I know He is the Savior. He is Lord. So as we go into this song, There is a King, I just want to ha- give you one verse to keep on your mind. And that's Mark 10:45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is Jesus speaking, right? So the son, son of man is a term he used for himself. He always loved speaking in third person, but that's how it is. He and he could have said, "I came to serve you guys." He could have just left it at that he's like i came to serve but he didn't he said i came not to be served what he's implying here what he's actually saying is that he deserves to be served he deserves our praise he deserves us to come to him because he is the king he is the lord but when he came down he didn't come down to be served he came down to serve us and the greatest act of service that he ever did was dying on the cross as a subst- substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. So now we don't have to worship him, we get to worship him. We get to worship the king through Christ. So as we as we go into this song, I just want you to have that on your mind that Jesus is King and He loves you and there's nothing you can do to separate yourselves from His love.